Well, uh, that guy has a PhD in expository preaching, so I don't know that I could say anything better than him. So we might as well just get on with you. We've had church today. I can just say amen and amen, and we'll get early to Athens restaurant over there. So, <laughs> no, I, I do feel like the Lord has something to say uh, to us today. If you have a Bible, will you open it up to Mark uh, chapter 9, 2 through 13? While you're doing there, um, uh, back in uh, 2016, uh, my girlfriend, now beautiful wife, sitting on the second row, I think she just signed up for a life of being used as sermon illustrations. So thank you for your flexibility. Um, so in August of 2016, I took my, uh, my girlfriend, now wife, uh, to Kentucky Kingdom which I am convinced is the most magical place on earth. Disney World just got there ahead of time. And uh, so we, we decided we needed a little action adventure in our lives. So we were dating, so we weren't going to go anywhere that we couldn't uh, drive back home that night. So we just did a little three-hour radius around Nashville, and Louisville fell into that. So we went up to Kentucky Kingdom, and I am a big roller coaster guy. I don't know if anybody else is here or not, but I, I experienced the Lord a little bit when I got on a roller coaster. And so I decided that I wanted to uh, find the biggest roller coaster immediately. You know, there's no crescendo, right? We're not doing the little dinky things. We're going straight for it. So uh, we went to a roller coaster called Storm Chaser. And ironically, that day, it was actually storming. So we got in line, not sure if the ride was going to be open or not, and, um, you know, the guys said, well, it's a wooden roller coaster, lightning is at least three miles away, you guys hop on, it's going to be a grand time. So, yeah, that, that didn't strike confidence into our hearts, I don't think. So uh, we get on the roller coaster, and as you know, roller coasters do have a crescendo, and so it started going, and it was slow at first, then you start going up the uphill, right, so you start going click, click. Click, and you kind of understand like what's going to come, but you know this moment is terrifying. So my wife has uh, uh, what I call her hands uh, tiny treasures. They're very small, but all of a sudden on this ride, they started like choking the blood out of my own hand because she was holding on tightly, so tight, right? And it's it kind of raining on us, right? And we get up to the very top of the roller coaster, and you know that two or three seconds of calm, right? That you get up and you're like, oh, there are birds like chirping and everything's okay, right? We didn't get any of that. It just went woof right down, and because it was a roller coaster by the end of it we had bulging like disc in our neck and like I had to go you know chiropractic appointments followed right like those, those things are just terrible on your body now why do I tell you uh, the story other than to just kind of embarrass me a little bit um, it's because of our sermon series uh, th this book of Mark that we're going through I'm so grateful that we've chosen a book just to go straight through uh, the first eight chapters would have been kind of the click click Click, right? The miracles of Jesus, feeding the 5,000, right? Like a, he, last week we talked about how he healed a woman of a bleeding disorder. Like these things that Jesus did are all getting us up to this point. Click, 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 all the way to the top where we're about to see that these miracles had a point. Where we're about to see that these miracles were just building upon who Jesus actually is. You see, the first Eight chapters talked about what Jesus does. But this chapter, what we're going to talk about today, is who Jesus is. Today, we're going to see a Jesus transfigured. And that, that word, I don't think anybody ever has said transfiguration, right? Like you're not just talking about, Lord, will you transfigure this burger into a healthy meal, right? Transfiguration, when we talk about that, we're just saying that Jesus was made glorious on this earth. He was made to be in appearance and in depth and in power like God because he is God. 
And so what we're going to see today is that the transfigured Jesus by the Father in his radiant glory is beautiful and is worthy of beholding. We will see that Jesus is worthy of our praise and adoration continuously. And today we will see how beholding Jesus for ourselves, like when we do that, when we hold Christ, when we look at Jesus for ourselves, it actually changes our lives now and it changes us forever. So if you have God's word, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of it? Mark 9 2 through 13 is where we're going to be today. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes become, became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, no longer they saw uh, anyone with them except Jesus, as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. Will you pray with me? Lord, right now, we are coming to you. Because we've had six days of being beaten down by a world that tells us we have to be enough. And we have to earn our way to the top. Yet this story today, for every man woman, and child that is in this room is a reminder that, Lord, we do not have to cut our way to the top when you have cut yourself for us, when you have, Lord, you have died for us, and you have given us new life, and that is so otherworldly, but I pray that it would seep down to our bones today so that we believe and we see ourselves how you see us, Jesus. We love you. Be in our midst right now. It's your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Point one. Point one. We're just going to dive right into it. Point one. Behold our God. Behold our God. Friends, uh, how many of us, if you've been a Christian for here um, longer than you've not been a Christian, for more than half your life, like maybe this is even more relevant to you, how many of us take time to treasure up the fact that our God, the maker of the universe, would send his son as a rescue plan for us? And like, man, we're, we're used to talking about the resurrection. We're used to talking about Jesus uh, like on Easter Sunday. And that's really good. We get dressed up in our best clothes and we hear about the resurrection. And that's, and that's great. And we should talk about that. But man, how many of us have grown bored of the truth that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus? And that when he died and he rose again, that was God not just saying that he loved you, but showing you that he loved you. Insecurity moment, um, in, in the very most real way, I'm looking at this behold our God, 
And to be honest with you, you could like find that in like, um, I don't know, like a theology book. And so I got like pretty like insecure that maybe that first point wouldn't be like flashy or like blingy enough for you guys. Like I'd lose you right out of the gate. Yet I wonder if we who have grown so bored in our faith have done so because we are too busy to long for the glory of God. I mean, man, can we all agree that this life will squeeze any sort of sitting down and just contemplation in general out of you? My wife and I don't have enough time to make a healthy meal at night, much less sit around and like behold the glory of God. But what I'm saying is this, is that oftentimes our interaction with God, we want it to be the cosmic vending machine where we get the prayer request answered and we say, got it, thanks, Lord, and then we're on to our own deal until the next crisis arrives. And I oftentimes wonder if God feels so far away in our lives because we're not allowing him into the most intimate part of who we are. Instead, we want him to modify behavior. Certainly, if not our behavior, we want him to modify other people's behavior so that our lives are okay. But... Friends, that is not the secret to flourishing in this life. The secret of flourishing in this life is not to just have all of our um, hindrances removed, all of our obstacles taken care of. The secret, the, what we need most desperately in this life is God's glory. And this transfiguration, it matters because it shows us that the very thing that we need the most, God, unity with the Lord, the thing that we are all humanity is lurching back towards has been provided in Jesus Christ, that there is a hope to the deepest, darkest longings of our life because we were made to be fulfilled by something that this world can never offer us. Um, I, I'm not an artist, but I like to look at art and, and visualizations. And so I have a picture of what uh, the transfiguration, that was taken on an iPhone 1 uh, way back in the day, right? So that was eyewitness account right there. Um, so when Peter, James, and John ascended to this mountain, right, they weren't thinking to themselves, gosh, we're going to see the glory of God today. They were just walking up with Jesus. But look at what they're doing. Like, if you can see it, there's Moses on the left, Elijah on the right, and then those three guys, that's Peter, James, and John, and they are not saying Jesus is my homeboy. They are literally looking up at Jesus, and when they are looking at Jesus, they feel their reaction is that they are looking at God himself. You see, in the Bible, whenever someone encounters the presence of God, every single time they know, I am a wrecked, ruined sinner, and that is a glorious God. Please, Lord, it is not good for me to be here. It is terrifying for me to be here because you are God and I am not. And who am I to be in your company? And so notice, right, Peter is like super um, nervous, right? Peter is terrified. And have you ever met someone who just talks whenever there's not, like there's, there's a silence in the conversation? and they just say words just to like make sure there's no silence. Like I might be one of those guys, right? But like, I don't know. But that's Peter. Peter's just like, they were all terrified. So Peter's like, well, somebody's got to say something. Hey, Jesus, it's good for me to be here, right? And some scholars would even say that that was in a question form. Is it good for me to be here? But he said, it's good for me to be here. Let us make three shelters for you guys. Now, what in the world is Peter thinking? They're not going camping, right? Like, what are we doing here? Why is Peter saying this? Well, it's, it's important to read scripture in the context in which scripture was written. Peter was Jewish. You can't take his Jewishness away from Peter. 
And so when Peter, Peter's read the scriptures, he's read uh, the stories of people who were in the presence of God and they had to flee. So Peter knows, oh my goodness, I'm looking at God himself. No question, I'm looking at God himself. But that's God, and I'm here, and I'm in line, line of sight, and I can't be here because I will die. Let me just put God's glory in what I've always known it needed to be, into a tabernacle, into a shelter. Let me just put something because the glory of God needs to be out there. Away from me, it needs to be inside of here so that I'm protected from it, and God deserves his rightful place of being far away from humanity. That would have been what a Jewish person would have done. So he would have erected these tents because he would have thought that's where the glory of God needs to belong. But notice here, and this is what makes Christianity different. If you're here today and you are not a Christ follower, like, I'm so glad you're here. I just say this, like, this story is what makes Christianity different from every other religion on the face of the earth. Absolutely, Christianity is one of many religions, but it is not saying the same thing. Why? Because there's no other story, no other faith that says the creator became creation so that he can dwell amongst and in his created. Friends, that is the God that we serve, that he would condescend, that he would come down to be like us, to be our rescue plan. So they did not, right? They did not make these tabernacles. Instead, Jesus remained amongst them. And what does God say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Later on, Jesus, uh, who would have made a terrible church planner because he's completely always repelling people away from himself by saying really big stuff, he says this really big thing, and, and these thousands of people who are following him all go away sad. They're like, okay, I, nope, I'm done. I thought this guy was a good teacher. He's clearly saying something else. I'm done. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says to them, are you too going to leave? And they said, by no means, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Friends, how many of us neglect the very fact that the God who made the planet Mars has revealed himself in this word to us? That seeing God's glory is knowing who he is. Jesus' words are the very words of life, and I'm begging you today to know them better and more deeply and more intimately than you know anything else on earth. A guy who lived a long time ago, a guy named John Owen, says this, Make up your mind that to behold the glory of God by beholding the glory of Christ is the greatest privilege which is given to believers in this life. This is the dawning of heaven. It is the first taste of that heavenly glory which God has prepared for us. For this is eternal life, to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Friends, how many of us think of heaven as a place that we go where we, where we go when we die, right? Like it is for over there. And I'm just going to kind of wait it out until I get there. And what I'm saying here is this, is that to know Jesus and to know him deeply and intimately is a foretaste. It is a, just a taste of what it means to be in heaven with God. I don't know if there's going to be crystal seas or like golden paved streets. I'd like for 440 to be paved with something better than what it is right now. But I do know this, 
that our God has revealed himself and let us not wait until we get to heaven to start experiencing and tasting Jesus deeply. In Exodus 33, um, 2,000 years before this, Moses, um, while he was still alive, leader of Israel, he had to lead Israel from uh, right, just right after uh, that the Lord parted the Red Sea to the Promised Land. And they're all stalling because they're a bunch of ding-dongs. And if you read the Old Testament, you realize, man, those guys are ding-dongs, but I'm a ding-dong too. And so Moses is here, and he's having to lead millions of people to the Promised Land, and they don't like him. And so Moses goes up onto a mountain, and he, he says to the Lord, he said, he's, God, what in the world is happening? And somebody here needs to know today that you don't need to clean up your prayers to go to God. That he wants to hear those just raw and unfiltered. And that's exactly what Moses is doing. He's like, Lord, why is this happening? God, why are you not going with us? God, what is going on? And I love that Moses gets right to the heart of it at one point. Right? Because God, I mean, gosh, what would you say to the Lord if you could talk to him just conversationally? And yet, what does Moses do? He says in Exodus 33, 18, he just says, please, show me your glory. Why does he do that? Because he knows what he does not ultimately need is earthly success, but to be with God. Friends, family, if you are struggling with something here today, God intimately and deeply cares about that. But he cares about that because in his answering, in his comforting, you find out just a little bit more of who God is so that you might know him deeper and deeper. And so, so Moses says, please show me your glory. And yet God says in that moment, he gives him the worst answer we could ever get. He says, you cannot see my glory and live. I will hide my face from you. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And so Moses, what is happening here is Moses is realizing that there is a cavern between he and God because Moses is a ruined sinner. He's just like, he's just, he can't be perfect like God. And God's presence demands perfection. And so there's this chasm between them. And Moses, he, he does this and his face comes down. And he's shining because he's been that close to God, but he's not there. Yet in the book of Mark, what we see thousands of years before that is Moses shows up. Up, right in his spirit, he shows up, and what is he doing? He is talking to the fullness of the glory of God face to face. He can finally see it. He finally sees the glory of God, the thing that he was asking for. And friends, I'm afraid in this world that we want the three steps to this and the four steps to that, that we have forgot that, man, the essence of who we are is to be reunited with God so that we might walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. And God has prepared a plan. Jesus' presence on this earth is God saying, hey, not only do I say that I love you, but I am going to show you that I love you. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. So the thing that Moses longed to see is now living inside of you. And it was Jesus' death and sacrifice for you on that cross that made all this possible. What kind of God would kill himself so his creation could be with him? That is otherworldly. And if, it, if that repels you at first, I would say, man, because that's an otherworldly message that our world is not accompanied, like not accomplished, or not used to. So friends, treasure that. Believe it. See it. Don't just settle for earthly successes and contentment and pleasure when God has given himself in you. 
I've heard it said this way, that Jesus is the great high priest surpassing all priests. He is the good shepherd surpassing all shepherds. He is the great king of kings surpassing all kings. He is the Lord of lords surpassing all earthly masters. He is the bridegroom surpassing all husbands. He is the rabbi Christ surpassing all preachers. He is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, surpassing all the best of everybody ever. Oh, man, y'all didn't say amen like the first service. I'm just going to walk out of here now. Man, if we can't get excited about the fact that we have eternal life and that Jesus is inside of us, friends, what are we doing? But beholding God is, is, is one aspect of this because if you behold God, you will be changed. As a matter of fact, that's my second point. Just be changed, right? Be changed. Uh, I had a seminary professor uh, who, who said this, that systematic theology or like theology, understanding who God is, is meant to hit your head, move to your heart, Go out to your hands and transform your habitat. So if you're here and all you know is the story of God, you are experiencing 25% of who he is. If it is not moved to your heart, if it is not transformed the way that you live, and if you cannot see a tangible impact on your community, whatever that is, because of the obedience that you have for Christ, you're experiencing 25% of who Jesus is. You see... Not only that, but seeing and savoring Christ's glory will strengthen you from the rigors of this world life, that this world throws at you. Who here knows that this world will throw you a lot of junk? There's a song. Um, it goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. That's the first time that there's ever been singing on this podcast. <laughs> but that's not just a cute tune. Like, that's not just a comforting thing. Friends, when you see, when you look at Jesus in his face, everything else in your world will be rightly ordered. So if you've suffered a defeat in here, if you're sitting like at the feet of Christ, if you're diving into his word, if you were in community, if you were praying, the defeats of this world will lose their sting on you. If you are in Christ and you are beholding him, even the successes of this world and of this life no longer have the same pull. They don't have the same luster on them. Oh, friends, help us to believe that Jesus is better than our best success on this earth that he's better than our worst defeat on this earth, that he's better than anything that we could offer him. For that is what it means to have eternal life, is to know and to treat things with their eternal value in mind. And is Jesus not eternally valuable? You know the scripture, um, uh, your body is a temple. Normally that's used to like shame people from eating too many pieces of pizza. Y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> My body's a temple, so I'm eating at Panera every day, right? Like, that's not exactly what that's meaning. We're thinking back to Peter. Jesus, let, let, let me build three structures for you. What that's saying is, is that Jesus delights to inhabit structures that are not man-made, but God-made, which is you. You are his tabernacle if you have Jesus in you. You are the place that God is pleased to dwell, and that is because Jesus has bridged the gap. No bad day, 
no horrible year, no failed relationship, no performance review at work has the right to take that away from you, and it cannot. Friends, wake up every morning and give God the best of your day because he has given his whole self to you. And ultimately, uh, there's a lot of programs out there trying to figure out who you are and doing a lot of self-reflection. And I want to put this forward, that ultimately when you behold the glory of God and you know who he is, you will know who you are in this life. A guy named John Calvin, another dude who lived a long time ago, maybe there's a pattern there, quoting guys who lived a long time ago, says, man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and comes down after such contemplation to look into himself. You know, many of us wish that we could have seen Jesus doing his miracles, don't we? Like, wouldn't that be cool to see the feeding of the 5,000 and, and healing of people? Like, there's almost this kind of like, I'm envious of the people who walked among, along, along Jesus. And of course, that, that's, that's awesome. But friends, we have that same God who did those miracles inside of you right now. Don't neglect that you have what thousands of people in the Old Testament were longing to see. Don't neglect that God is with you even in your worst of days and your best of days and that he delights to be with you. If we knew what a miracle it was to have the living son of God inside of us, then we wouldn't look first to miracles outside of us for confirmation of our faith. Paul says this about seeing and beholding the Lord. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Like the veil over your eyes is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. You have been given. The very fact that you are a co-heir with Christ means you have confidence before the Lord to say, I am a glorious child of God. So he says, we all with unveiled faces are looking at us in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, so I'm closing now. You never believe a preacher when he says he's closing. He's got 15 minutes left, but I don't, right? Friends, push aside the hindrances that keep you from seeing God that keep you from experiencing the Lord. Who knows here that your most, like your most glorious ADD moment is when you sit down to read the Bible or pray. Automatically, like your grocery list starts coming into mind. What you got to do three weeks from now comes into mind. And guys, I would say that that's kind of spiritual warfare because Satan knows that what you don't need is just another time to open up the Bible. What you do need is another time to be with God. Make margin into your calendar to say, right now, is when I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do nothing else that is going to advance my earthly success except to sit at the feet of God because that's what you need. That's what we need is to treasure our God forever. And if you don't know what that means, like I'm so grateful for that because it's, that's discipleship is to walk alongside of people as they grow in their understanding of who God is. And so I'll tell you this, in my life group, I have seen the glory of God. I have seen people rallying around coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And I think that is what it means to see Jesus together.